weekend up in uh, Wisconsin, so I get to fill in for him. That should be fun. Um, last week we switch pockets here. So last week we uh, left off in Mark chapter six, at the end of Mark chapter six, with the story of Jesus walking on the water. And this week we're going to be in the beginning of Mark chapter seven. So if you want to turn with me to page 842 in the Bibles in front of you, uh, you can follow along with me as I read. Um, Mark chapter 7, verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding up to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there were many other traditions that they observed, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah the prophet, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you, whatever you would get, have given me, or whatever you have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making the void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called to the people and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is eliminated? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we come before you this morning and open your word, we want to be changed by you. Lord, we want to come humble before you, and so we just pray that Anything in our lives that might be a distraction right now, all the struggles we have that we're going through and all the heavy parts of our life, that we can come now before you and lay them before you and receive from your word life. We just ask that as I speak, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing to you and that you'd be honored in everything that we hear this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So right, right away, we see in uh, verse 1, uh, Mark starts out, he says, Now the Pharisees gathered to him some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. 
Now, we have seen previously in the Gospel of Mark that Pharisees have constantly been checking up on Jesus to see if he would slip or fail in any way regarding the law or the traditions of the elders, as we're going to speak about this morning. And so, in this case, you know, Jesus' notoriety is becoming greater. His fame is spreading. He's doing miracles all over the place. People are hearing of him. Great crowds are coming. He's teaching different things than the people are used to hearing. He's also teaching as one who has authority, someone who is not like the common Pharisee, not like the common speaker in the synagogue, the local synagogue, but he's teaching as someone who has some sort of different authority. And so this is catching the attention of the elders and the religious leaders in Jerusalem and whether or not they were called for from the people in the local area or whether they're just following Jesus around, ready to pounce on anything he does wrong. Um, we see that the Pharisees and scribes are sent from Jerusalem to observe what Jesus is doing. And in verse 2 it says that they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now the Pharisees and the scribes, they weren't just people who upheld the law. They, they knew the law forward and back. You can go to any Pharisee in that time or any scribe who was an expert in the law, and they would be able to explain every single little bit of the law. They had every single word memorized. They even had the grammar down. They could just, you know, they had every single little detail memorized. They spent their lives preparing for this. Um, their job was to uphold the law and the traditions that were passed down in order that the people would be able to follow it properly. Um, their goal was to make sure that people lived a holy life um, and follow the law so that Israel could be in a right relationship with God. That was the idea behind it all. And so um, what we see in this passage is it talks about the law, but it also talks about these traditions. And we're going to talk about these traditions in a minute and see what that means. But the Pharisees and the scribes knew every little detail and all the traditions that they were supposed to keep and hold. And so they're going around making sure that Jesus is following all this, that his disciples are following all this. So it says in verse 2, they saw some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And in verse 3, we've got a little bit of an explanation of this. It says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. Um, so in this time, you know, the Jews uh, were kosher, you know, the Jews are kosher, and there's certain rules that they have to live by in order to be clean, to be pure. Um, God set forth a list of rules in Leviticus of cleanliness. You know, the foods you're not supposed to eat, the ways you're, um, when you're supposed to cleanse after certain things happen, whether you're unclean for whatever reason. And the Pharisees were experts in knowing all of this. And so they see that Jesus and his disciples, when they come back from the marketplace, they see that Jesus' disciples have not cleansed their hands properly. In verse, in chapter 6, um, if we go back just a little bit, in verse 53, it says, When they had crossed over, they came to, to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they, ha they heard he was. And whenever he came, or wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that he might touch even the fringe of his garments. And as many as touched it were made well. So we see that a lot of Jesus' ministry is done in a very public place, in the marketplace. And so he's coming into contact. He and his disciples are coming into contact with many different people, many who are unclean, those with sicknesses and disease, who the common Jew was told not to touch and go by. 
And, um, and so we see that they come back from the marketplace and the disciples don't ceremonially wash their hands in the ways that the tradition said to do. Now the Pharisees, um, they were experts in the tradition of the Jewish law as well. Now you have the written law of God, which you find in Leviticus and um, in, in Numbers and Deuteronomy. You have the written law of God is given in scripture by Moses. And then you have this whole big list of traditions that go above that law. So in order, so I guess the illustration we would see is like when you have a child who doesn't listen or doesn't know better, who's going to run into the street, what do you do for your yard? You build a fence, right? You build a fence back from the street. You don't build a fence right up on the street, but you build it back by your property. So there's a distance between the street and the yard, right? There's a safe like leeway there. And so in order to make sure that the child, child doesn't go into the, to the street, you build a fence further away to enclose the child and make sure that they're safe. Well, the way that the Pharisees and the elders of Israel viewed the law is that in order to help the people not to sin, in order for them not, not to be impure, there needed to be a fence that was built in order that they didn't even go near doing wrong. They didn't even go near breaking the law. And so in order to do this, what they would do is they would make different traditions and different rules based on interpretation of the law to go above that. And so what ended up happening over time is that these leaders, that, that tradition and those rules that they created was actually on par with the law. They viewed it as scriptural in itself. And uh, as we're going to see, they at times even viewed it as higher than scripture. And that became a problem for them. So this, this ceremonial washing that we're talking about here, um, that they're expecting the disciples to do based on the tradition of the law, this ceremonial washing was meant for the priests of Israel. When they would go into the temple to do the rituals and do the, do the sacrifices, they were required to cleanse themselves in a proper way. And this ceremonial washing in the, in the written law of Moses was never meant for the common people to practice in their everyday daily life. This was something that, this was the fence that they had put up to make sure that the people were clean and pure. And so it was something extra that they added on to the written law to make sure that everyone was going to be clean and pure and there was going to be no, no doubt about their impurity. And so, you know, they're basically trying to hold the disciples and Jesus to this tradition, which had become in their culture like scripture itself. It says um, in verse 4, And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash their hands. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So they go beyond it. You know, they go beyond just washing your hands. You wash what you eat from. You wash what you sit on. You know, they go to the extreme. So they come to Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes come to him and they ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now, if you notice here, they don't come to Jesus and say, why do you not follow the traditions of the law and eat with defiled hands? It's kind of implied here that Jesus is following this. But he's not holding his disciples to it. Like he, as a rabbi, is following the traditions of the elders. He's you know, he's respecting that, but he's not holding his disciples to that. But as, as is the case in this, in this culture, when you have a rabbi, a teacher of the law, he had followers, he had disciples. And so those men who followed him, who were his disciples, were expected um, to be taught by him. To, he was, it was his job and his responsibility to make sure that they followed the written rules, they followed the oral traditions. 
that the rest of the people followed. And so coming to Jesus, even though it doesn't say that he was the one who was doing it, they say, hey, man, this is on you. You screwed up here. We saw you slip up. Why don't you make sure that the disciples do this? And his response to them, you know, it, it might kind of seem like, oh, you're accusing me of this? Well, I'm going to accuse you of this. Kind of trying to, like, diverge the viewpoint, you know. But um, really what he's doing is he's saying, hey, you guys, you have a wrong understanding of the law. You have the wrong understanding of what this is for. And so that's kind of what the rest of this message is about. It's about a proper understanding of the law of God and the traditions that these Pharisees had. So in verse 6, he picks up and he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So Jesus quotes Isaiah the prophet, a piece of scripture that was written 700 years prior to this, about the nation of Israel at that time. And this, this is the nation of Israel 700 years prior that was sent into exile because of their sin, because of their idolatry, because of their false worship. And so Jesus is basically saying, hey, it's been 700 years. Isaiah, you prophesied to the nation of Israel 700 years ago and basically condemn them in this way by the word of God. And you are the same. Rightly did he prophesy of you. He applies it to the Pharisees. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. In vain do you worship me, or do you, in vain do you worship God, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So the problem here with the Pharisees is that their heart wasn't in the right place. They were upholders of the law. They were upholders of the traditions. But they were totally in the wrong because their heart wasn't in the wrong place, even though they honored God with the outward appearance. Um, this isn't the only time that Jesus you know, confronts the Pharisees about their hypocrisy and their, and their sin, their sinful heart. If you turn to Mark chapter 12, um, in verse... 38, Mark chapter 12, Jesus says, he says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the house or in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So he, he tells the people when he's speaking of the Pharisees, beware of them. They like to put the show on for the rest of the people around them. They like to show their holiness, their long garbs that show that they have a status of purity, a status of reverence. It says they like to have places of honor at the feast. They put themselves on display for others around them. Um, you know, religious religion, like scripture, is meant for our good. And it can easily be twisted into idolatry and into self-righteousness. We can all relate to this. You know, I, I struggle with this. I struggle with this when I prepare a sermon. You know, I constantly have to pray for humility because it's easy to, you know, be prideful in the fact that I get to speak in front of people. And I think that we'd all be lying if we say that we go through daily life and through our Christian growth without falling into pride and temptation of that. And this is, this is the greatest falling of humanity, is pride and temptation of 
pride, to make ourselves into a place that God belongs, you know, to put ourselves in that place and in that position where God only belongs. And so we see this with the Pharisees. I'm sure we can look at our own lives and see where we do that every single day, where we do it in church on Sunday morning, where we do it alone at home by ourselves or at work with our friends. You know, it's, it's not something that the Pharisees were alone in doing, even though they were the ones who knew the Scripture the best. They were the ones who knew the law the best. That didn't make a difference for them. They were still in the wrong. Their heart was in the wrong place. If you want to turn to Matthew 23, verse 25. Um, this is another passage where Jesus talks about the Pharisees' hypocrisy. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So here we see again another example of Jesus calling out the Pharisees under hypocrisy. You know, they're worried about washing these cups. You know, these cups really, you know, these eating utensils really give a good illustration of, of our lives. You know, you wash the outside of it and you put it on a shelf. You polish it and it can look all nice and shiny. But if you don't wash the inside, it's full of grime. When you drink or eat food, that all goes inside of you. The tomb, you know, you can paint it and make it look beautiful on the outside, but really what's inside is death. So that's what Jesus compares these Pharisees to. Because of their hypocrisy, because of their lack of worship of God, the focus on their own. And so, in Mark, going back to Mark 7, Jesus says to them, in verse 8, You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. And in verse 9 he continues, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your own traditions. So Jesus says, you know, you leave the commandments of God in order to make your own traditions. And then he goes further, he says, not only do you leave it, you reject it in order to establish, to make your own traditions. And then he gives an example. He quotes Exodus. He actually quotes part of the Ten Commandments. He says in verse 10, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And, his, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you, are no longer, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down and many such things you do. So what he's saying is, you know, there's a saying in the Jewish culture at the time that was called Corbin. And what it basically meant was it was a transliteration of a Hebrew word and it just basically meant gift to God or given to God. And it was this vow that the Jews would make. Essentially, they would take their property or possessions or part of it and dedicate it to God. Say, this is going to be given to God. And so by doing so, the Pharisees and the scribes, who were the rulers of the law, the ones who made sure that it was followed, it was more important to them that these, these people didn't break an oath or a dedication that they made to the Lord than it was that they honor their parents, which was one of the commandments. 
And the way this happened was if a person, let's say they made a pledge of giving their possessions to God, and they said, oh, but my parents need help. I need to honor my parents. Then I say, oh, but you made this vow. You know, you vowed this money to the temple. You vowed these material possessions to the temple. There's no way you can go back on that. That would be, just, that would be uh, breaking the law of God. You can't do that. And so they wouldn't allow people to, to, to take care of their parents who were in need if they made that vow. And furthermore, they would abuse that. So what they would do is if they didn't want to share with their parents, if they didn't want to take care of their parents, they didn't want that responsibility, they would make a vow to God for their possessions and their, good, their material wealth. And that pledge didn't have to be acted upon right away. You can make that pledge and dedicate those materials, materials to God, but they were still yours. You could still use them with the site that you were going to eventually give it. And so in order not to take care of their parents, they would offer that to God, offer that to the temple, but not actually give it and continue to use it and not take care of their parents. So they would abuse that power. And so Jesus calls out their hypocrisy in that and says, um, says, thus you make void the word of God by telling them not to honor their parents by your traditions that you've handed down. So they, they held that as a greater tradition than following the law of God. And many such things you do. So these weren't the only things that they would do. So for us, how, does, how would this apply to us? You know, we don't have these vows that we hold ourselves to. We really do live in a culture where if you make a promise, you can go back on it as long as you're sincere, right? You ever notice that? Like, when you make a vow, as long as you're sincere and changing it, and it's like agreed upon with the person that knows that you made a vow, then it's okay to go back and switch it. Whereas in this culture, if you made a vow, they consider it permanent. There is no way you can go back and change it. So we can't really relate to that to that certain extent. But we make so many excuses, right? Like, I don't know. I guess think about your relationship with your parents. I know I can think about mine, and you know, it's it can be a weighty burden to think, okay, I'm going to take care of my parents one day. You know, my dad expects us to have him live in our house. He doesn't want to live in a nursing home. I understand that. We're going to see that that's done well, but like, you know, no guarantees. But <laughs> but like, you come up with those excuses so easily, like, well, I've got work. I don't have time. You know, well, I'll put up the money for it, but I don't have time to do that. I'm not present. And yet, God says, honor your parents. Now, part of why that honoring your parents is Slightly subjective, I guess. But at the same time, it's just so easy to make excuses not to do what is right. We can come up with these excuses so easily. And so God calls out the Pharisees on that. We can put ourselves in that place so easily. Just think about something in your life that you so easily make excuses for. Um, so, yeah, Jesus accuses the Pharisees. He calls them out in their hypocrisy. And then he goes on and he kind of brings something new. Right? This is what Jesus has been doing this whole time is bringing newness. You know, the people have been so used to the law. They've been so used to the tradition over time. And Jesus comes and he shows what it actually means. You know, what the spirit of the law is. What God's heart is. And where the people's heart isn't. That's what he's been doing. He's bringing the kingdom of God. Repent and turn. He, that's his call. That was John the Baptist's call and that's Jesus' call to the people. Repent and turn. And so he brings what is, in their time, would have been a new understanding of what, maybe not new, but new for most of the culture because they didn't have a right understanding of what the law meant. So that's what we're going to see in the following verses. In verse 14, it says, And he called 
the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. He said, I have something important to say. You're going to want to listen to this. Hear me and understand what I have to say. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of the person are what defile him. Now this makes sense to us, hopefully. Especially if you've been in the church for a while. Like, you understand that the heart is where sin comes from, right? It's not the things around us that you know, are the cause of sin. It's what we do from our heart. And so... This isn't mind-blowing for us, but for disciples, it would just like shatter their world. And for the Jews in that time, it would shatter their world. Because they're so used to being told, you have to eat the right food. You can't eat that food. You have to clean yourself this way. You have to follow these traditions. You have to do this and that and the other thing. There's so many laws that they have to follow. They're not used to hearing that, okay, you know, those things that go into you, like the food that you eat, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make you unclean. But that's basically what Jesus says. It doesn't make you unclean. It doesn't affect you. It says, verse 17, and when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. They were on you know, the same page with everyone else around. They're like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. And that goes against everything we've been told our whole lives. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? It goes into your body and it goes out. It's just physical. It's not going to cause you to be a sinner. Um, so, what are you saying here is that, you know, those laws that you followed your whole life, yeah, you weren't supposed to eat that food. You weren't supposed to, you, you were supposed to cleanse yourself in those ways. You were supposed to follow those traditions. But the whole reason for doing that is not because those things make you clean. Those things don't make you pure. Following religious traditions, following different practices and rituals that we even today do, don't make you pure. They don't make you clean. They don't change your heart. And so he's telling them that you know, the spirit of the law, you know, what God was doing a thousand years ago with the nation of Israel and what he's doing with Jesus in that time, it hasn't changed. It's always been the same. So, what is the point of the law in the first place, then? You know, what is the point of the law? I mean, hopefully we've heard this, because I think Tim has explained it, but, you know, the point of the law is that you follow it so that you're set apart. You you don't eat the clean food, or the unclean food, if you're Jewish at that time, because God calls you not to, because he wants to show the nations around that you're different. Now, what's the point of doing that, you know? Okay, you're not eating some food, so you're different, so you're better, so you're holy, right? Yeah, because... You know, food's going to make you holy. No, the point of that is that God wants a relationship with the people. In order to have that relationship, you know, he's calling them to be set apart, to be his, not to be the nations around them, not to be um, giving themselves to idolatry. There's so many different things that they can give themselves to. But he wants obedience. Because obedience from the people, if it comes from heart that loves God, is what is the basis for the relationship. And so, by eating an unclean food, quote-unquote unclean food, it's not the food that makes you unclean. It's rejecting what God has told you to do. Right? It's rejecting God. It's just ultimately what it is. You're rejecting God and his word. There's no love for God there. There's no relationship if you rejected what he wants for you. You know, the law 
as, as we've heard, the law was meant to be good. It was meant to build or to, um, to nurture a right relationship with God. It was never meant to be this list of rules that make you holy because the law doesn't make you holy. So all the list of rules and the traditions that the Pharisees had, they were just missing the point. So in verse 20, he says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So Jesus is saying, you know, everything you thought about doing certain things, not cleaning your hands after being in the marketplace, you know, if you don't eat pig, then you're good. You know, all these things, like if, if you don't clean your hands and you get some filth because you touch something during the marketplace, that's not going to make you unholy. If you eat this food, that in itself doesn't make you unholy, although I told you not to eat that. That, what, that is what makes you unholy, what comes out of your heart, rebellion towards God. So the whole point of the law, we basically can see it in Matthew 23, Verse 23, if you want to turn there, I'll just read it really quick. Matthew 23, verse 23. And Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Basically, Jesus is saying, you focus on all the little details. You focus on making sure you follow this little rule and that little rule and that little rule. And when you drink wine, you clench your teeth together so you don't swallow a gnat and become you know, unclean from eating something you're not supposed to eat. Pick it out of your teeth and throw it away. But you're swallowing the whole camel and you don't even realize it. You know, There's this big obvious scene in front of you and you don't see it. You know, the whole point of the law is that God wants his people to be representatives of him on earth. And he's showing them how to do it. You know, God wants people after his own heart. He wants people who show that they are his. He wants people who are forgiving, who are faithful, who show justice and mercy. Not people who put others down and try to confine them and restrict them or put this burden on their back and tell them that you have to follow this in order to be good with God. Matthew 22, verse 36, or starting in verse 34, we see what the greatest commandment of the whole law is. Matthew 22, verse 34, it says, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Now, when you talk about a lawyer, we're not talking about like, you know, a legal lawyer just, you know, doing law downtown Chicago or whatever. We're talking about someone who knows the law so well that if they see someone in the slight wrong, they could tell them, hey, you're wrong. You've broken the law. That's what we're talking about, lawyer here. So this lawyer tests Jesus. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
So Jesus is saying, these are the two things that encapsulate everything. Love the Lord your God with everything and love people with everything. Now it can be so simple. It seems so simple. And yet we live our lives like it's not the case. <laughs> like it has to be harder somehow. You know, there has to be this burden. We have to add these things to it. And if we fail at these things, we feel like we're just messed up and we can't fix it, you know? This is all it is. Love God and love people. So what are the Pharisees doing? Are they loving people? Are they loving God? Are we loving people? Are we loving God? The whole law depends on that. The basis of the law is a love for God, not for a desire to make yourself holy and pure. So, David was a man after God's own heart. That's something hopefully all of us have heard. David was called a man after God's own heart. David committed adultery. David killed a man. And David, his family was a wreck when he died. His sons were fighting each other and trying to kill each other. His life had a lot of great things, and his life had a huge mess. You know, like this, you talk about David and his greatest greatness. That's all like when he was a child, all when he was a young man. Like after that point, his life is so, his life is so messed up. But yet, Scripture says he's a man after God's own heart. So if he's a lawbreaker who deserves death by the, thing, the sins that he has committed, by the law, he deserves death, and he didn't receive that death on earth. So if David is this great lawbreaker, then how can he truly be a man after God's own heart? Um, we're going to end with Psalm 51. It's on page 474 if you want to turn there. This is David... His prayer after sinning with Bathsheba, after committing adultery. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David understood. You know, this was before Christ came. This is before the apostles were teaching grace, forgiveness, Jesus died on the cross, he rose again for your sins. This was before all that, but David understood it. He understood that it wasn't about being perfect. It wasn't about the one who being the one who fulfills the law. He understood it was about God. You know, God and his forgiveness. He understood who he was. He knew he was a sinner. He knew that he couldn't follow the law perfectly. And if anyone truly looks at their life, they know that they cannot stand up to God perfectly. We all know that. And David knew that. Even though his life was a mess compared to so many other perfect people, like these Pharisees that Jesus was going up against, if you were to talk about their life, you'd probably say, oh, man, he's great. He's awesome. He's perfect. You know? Look at him. He's not doing anything wrong. He upholds everything. does everything right. But David wasn't like that. And yet he was a man after God's own heart. It was the exact opposite. But David understood his need for a Savior. He understood his need for forgiveness. He knew he wasn't good enough. And that's, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's a, it almost seems like it's too simple. But every time you read Scripture, it should always end up at one place. 
You know, whether it's the solution, even if the passage isn't directly talking about, the solution is always the same thing. The solution is always Jesus at the cross, in the grave, resurrected. That's always a solution for everything, because that's what we need. And that's what we need every day. That's what we need to be reminded of. That's what we need for salvation. That's what we need to live our Christian life is Jesus at the cross, in the grave, resurrected. That's what we need. Um, the sooner that we see ourselves in light of God is in who we are, in our inadequacy, in our inability to achieve the law in its fullness, to follow all the extra traditions that we add on it, you know, the extra things that we do to make sure that we're living our good Christian life, the sooner we realize that we need Jesus in all of it, the sooner we're going to change, the sooner that we're going to have a good relationship, right relationship with God. God can't use someone who's full, of their, who's full in their pride um, thinking that they're great because they don't see what they need and they can't share that with anyone else. So whether you're a Christian or not, you need Jesus. You need his death, his resurrection. You need his forgiveness. You need him to make you pure and holy because the law and following the rules and regulations, all the extra things you might add on it, that are going to make you feel good about yourself, that's not going to do it. So let's go to God in prayer. Oh, God, we need you. Um, and every day we need you. Today we need you. Right now, as we're sitting in church, being good Christians, Lord, we need you. And we can put up a face as much as we want, and appear good before each other as much as we want, Lord, but we know that we're not holy. We know that we have impurity in us. We know that we're sinners. It's only by your grace, your death, and your resurrection, your forgiveness, that we can come before you, God, in worship. And we thank you for that great gift. That's not that we can just come before you and be okay that we can come before you as sons and daughters and be confident and rejoice in our salvation. And that true rejoicing and that true joy only comes from truly laying ourselves before you and not holding on to what we think is ours. We just pray, Lord, um, as we go in this week that you know, that's just something that drives our life forward. The truth of your gospel, your saving grace, what you have done in our lives. Who you are will drive us forward, Lord. I just pray that we can meditate on that this week. And, and be your people in this world, not a people who are marked by our self-righteousness and, and what we can accomplish, but people who are marked by your grace and your forgiveness and what you are doing in our lives. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.